Welcome to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast brought to you by Narrowgate Ministries. This podcast is dedicated to giving you a God-centered approach to recovery and to life. Follow along. Let's get started. All right, man. Welcome back to the God-Centered Men's Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Tim Holloway, and I am glad to be back at you again. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I hope you enjoyed your week. Uh, if you're new here, this is a Christian men's podcast uh, inside of recovery uh, dedicated to helping men live an awesome, powerful, abundant, and spirit-filled life. So if that's you, welcome. If you haven't already checked out the link in the description below, I encourage you to do so. Um, go ahead and jump on a call with me so we could talk about these groups and see if they're a good fit for you. Um, we are meeting on Sundays and Tuesdays right now, and uh, it's just a really epic and awesome experience that that I want you to take part of. So if you haven't done so already, uh, just go ahead and click that link in the description and let's chat. All right. So we're going to wrap up our topic that we have been talking about this week, and it is about humility. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I think um, the whole Sermon on the Mount was meant for shock and awe, and that is he was trying to get people's attention. And so he said things that were um, backwards. He said things that were, huh, like for people to begin to think and to ponder the deeper meaning of what he said. And so I, I like the way that, that Jesus speaks. And so this is given to a crowd. And so with his disciples, he often broke things down and he talked more plain language. And uh, um, But in the crowd, he seemed to use a lot of stories, a lot of parables. And in this case, a extreme... Um, wordplay that would cause his listeners to really question what he was talking about. So blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Proverbs uh, eleven two, it says that pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And so uh, Solomon correlated pride with disgrace. And we've talked about when pride comes, then a fall is coming soon after. But Solomon correlates this to a disgrace. Something is going to happen that is going to bring down the empire, <laughs> uh, if you will. Um, and we've seen this multiple, multiple times, especially um, you know in the Christian world where the man of God is not uh, walking in humility. And he's living a double life, and um, and there's this lot of arrogance and pride and and uh, hypocrisy, and then of course we've seen the open disgrace and the public shame and everything that comes along with that, and so that's that's what Solomon is talking about. That this pride it opens us up to a stumble, a fall, and then it opens us up to this disgrace. Uh, but then he goes on to say, humility comes wisdom. So there are definitely two paths in this process, and that is the the pride that that evolves into into disgrace, and the humility that evolves into wisdom. But here's the reality of things: is that um, I think I t- touched on this a little bit last episode, but it's the idea of. Um, 
destruction, but it's kind of like a corrosion destruction. And uh, recently I was watching, you know, what would happen uh, with man not in the world. I forget what um, show it's called, but uh, it's on Netflix. And it basically showed what would take place, the erosion, and the what would take place inside of the world if man was not there. And it showed all the, the corrosion and the eroding of all these buildings because of um, the lack of maintenance. And it was like the slow destruction of what man has built. And this destruction that happens in our life with pride is the same way. We don't get a little arrogant, and then all of a sudden our life is destroyed. We don't get a little cocky, and then all of a sudden, you know, swift destruction comes. This is a slow deterioration. And so if there's pride inside of a marriage, it's going to slowly deteriorate. If there's pride inside of a business, it'll slowly deteriorate. And so what I want you to thoroughly understand is that this corrosion mentality is happening by the choices that we make. And the only way to change that is to begin to make different choices, and that is to come into the idea of, hum of humility, and so wisdom would be the outcome. And the way that this process works, it, it works very similar to the corrosion, and that is a gradually um, maintenance first, maintaining the life and the, and the life that you have and you maintain it. But then piece by piece, you begin to grow and to expand. And so it's much like the corrosion, but the opposite effect, that things gradually get better and better. Now, the reason why that is important is because we, we want this instant change. Uh, I know when I, you know, back in when I was baptized, you know, um, you know, I thought I was going to come out of the water Superman, super Christian, and, you know, everything was going to be of ease, and um, there was going to be this dramatic change from the the wretched sinner that I was to this, you know, holy saint, you know, on fire for God. And, of course, uh, when daily trials and daily temptations came, that was not the case and I was frustrated and discouraged because I didn't understand the process of God. See, the process of God is gradually getting better and better. And that's what this life of sobriety and cleanness is all about. That we have made a decision that we are going to walk the path of humility. And we're going to walk this out in a daily fashion, one day at a time. And that one day at a time, brick by brick, we are going to get better. And we're going to grow and, and expand. And that happens in every single area of our life if we allow it, if we yield to the process. You see, God can come inside of a marriage and brick by brick begin to build trust back. Because what we did was we tore everything apart. Now, it doesn't matter if you reached bottom and you're smoking crack, but anybody who who is about to let go of addiction is doing something very devastating to one or all areas of their life. And that is that you have cheated inside your marriage and your marriage is about to fall apart and you're about to uh, lose your kids and, and stuff like that. And this is the, the erosion and the fruit of the choices that you have made. This is the, the pride in its uh, full effect and you're about to eat the nasty fruit of it. 
And um, what we got to understand is, is that these new choices can bring us out of that situation. Now, this doesn't guarantee uh, for those things to happen. It doesn't guarantee that your marriage is going to be restored, that your relationship with your kids, that they're going to trust you again. It doesn't mean that your boss is going to give you your job back or you're going to earn the respect of your employees overnight. But what it does mean is that when we begin to walk in humility, that brick by brick and layer by layer, we can begin to build that back. You know, I hear a lot of men complain like, you know, it's been a year and and there's still no intimacy or there's been a year and my kids still don't, you know, get it. And what we got to understand is that we spent years destroying. We spent years making decisions that caused the erosion inside of our, our lives. And this is not going to be something that gets turned around overnight. So trust in the process. In Proverbs 15, it says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So before anything rises inside of our life, you see, God is in the business of taking that which is low and bringing it up. And he's in the business of taking that what is high and lofty and bringing it down. But before the rise comes, before the honor comes, before the, this awesome change and this powerful life comes, is a process of humility. And we must be willing to go through that process. Here's the reality thing about humility is that power is very compatible with humility. We have this idea of Ned Flanders or something, some weak person, some weak sissy girly man when it comes to the idea of humility. But we have to understand that humility is a quiet confidence and power. Being a powerful man is very congruent with humility. You see, any man can lash out in anger. Any man can, can cause violence to happen upon another man. Any man can do that, right? But it takes a controlled man, a man who walks in humility, to have the quiet confidence not to respond to the triggers of angry men. And that is the true power of humility. Confidence is very compatible with humility. We think of humility as this timid, shy man who, who doesn't speak up. When humility is quite the opposite, it's the quiet confidence and assurance that you know who you are, you know who you belong to, and you're going to quietly walk in that, uh, in that confidence without being arrogant or cocky in any fashion. Assertiveness is compatible with humility. You know, um, we think of humility once again as being weak. And assertiveness is stepping up and saying uh, what you want. Now, you could do that in a confident manner without being arrogant or showy or flashy. Self-worth is very compatible with humility. We think of humility as uh, being a worm. 
oh, I'm just a worm. And, and uh, we hear Christians say this a lot of times that, um, that um, they're, they're evil and, and all of these things, not understanding that, that we can't call the place where the Holy Spirit dwells evil because it is his home. It's where he's, he has decided to reside and we have become a child of the king. In fact, the Bible calls us the king of kings. Now, Jesus is the king, but we are the kings. So we got to understand our royal identity and that humility is the quiet confidence and assurance in your self-worth, knowing confidently who you are. Humility is not a doormat. We think that being humble means being walked on and being stepped on. But humility is the place of power. I personally believe it's the honest assessment of who you are in God. And it's the recognition of all the positive strengths that God has placed on the inside of you, all the giftings, the purpose, the passion. And it's the honest recognition of those things. And it's the honest recognition of your weaknesses because once you begin to recognize the areas where you are deficient, you are not going to be insecure or thrown off guard. Because if something happens uh, because of your weaknesses, because of the areas where you're prone to make mistakes, you're not going to be, you're not going to overreact because you, you thoroughly know about those areas. And so when you're getting feedback, when you're, other people are saying things about those things, you're not going to get insecure and defensive and begin to rise up in this arrogant, cocky fashion because you know you're thoroughly acquainted with these. So foundational things of humility is I'm not always right. Especially when it comes to the walk of faith and this and this idea of walking out sobriety and cleanness, I'm not always right. And my way is not always right. And what I want, I think men can relate to this in a in a very positive, positive way. What I want is not always right. And we don't have all the answers. We do not have all the answers. So, first reality, I'm not always right. Second reality, I don't have all the answers. Third reality, I need feedback from other people. I need feedback, most of all, from the Word of God. I need feedback from the Spirit of God that is living and operating inside of my heart. And then it takes us to the fourth reality of, I need help from others. I need help from others. And that is the assistance that God begins to provide. But here's, here's the reality. If we think that we're always right, then we're going to be this cocky, fully self-sufficient attitude. And we're going to think, number two, that we have all the answers. And therefore, because we think we see, we actually become the blind. And that leads us to three, not seeking feedback from the Word of God, not seeking feedback from the Spirit of God, and not seeking feedback from 
our brothers inside the brotherhood. And that leads us to four, not seeking help from others. And it's a very destructive path. So the choice is ours is that do we want to walk in the steps of humility where all these positive things begin to play out? Or do we want to walk in the steps of arrogancy and have these other things begin to play out? Now, Jesus said this, uh, he brought a child, put him on his knee. And the disciples seemed like they were trying to forbid this from happening. Like, keep the children away from the master. Like, leave them alone. Like, he doesn't have time for the little children. And in multiple scenarios, he began to use the child as a story and as an analogy. And in Matthew 18, verse 4, he uses this one, that whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And as I begin to think of the story of the child coming to him, the child um, raised in its arms to be picked up by him, the child um, being in his presence and just this calm delight. And I get the revelation and the clue what Jesus was talking about. And that is to come to him like a child. And this sense of coming to him with our arms raised, with this connected and just happy uh, being in his presence. In fact, in another place, he said, if you don't humble yourself with this little child, you'll no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And one thing that we know about children is a humble dependence. They are have a lot of needs. And they, in a dependent fashion, rely upon the parents. And so when it comes to salvation, when it comes to heaven, Jesus was saying, come to me with your arms raised. Say, Abba, Father. Say, Daddy. And this childlike, humble dependence, and he will lift you up. Peter said the same thing. He said, humble yourself ever in the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. And James said the same thing. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So he also used the child as, as, as an idea of who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the disciples were proud men. And I'm glad that the Bible makes no attempt to hide their arrogancy so we can begin to see it and begin to understand. Uh, the Bible shows men, warts and all. And so as they're sitting around debating who would be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and their hearts are filled with pride, and they're saying, for sure, it's me. I am going to be the greatest. And this is uh, most likely Peter, James, and John, and they're all sitting around thinking, no, I'm going to be the greatest. And, um, and they're all going through probably in their heart and their mind why they would be the greatest and why someone else wouldn't be the greatest. And, and what they were doing was jockeying for a position at the right hand of Jesus. 
And this is the, the full effect of pride. So he began to teach them in this servant attitude. And he began to, Jesus began to wash their feet. And even Peter said, no, far feet be it from you, Lord. Like this idea of somebody who is a leader stooping down to serve was so foreign to Peter that he's like, no, far be it from you, Lord. And then Jesus explains to him and he gets even more cocky and says, okay, then not my feet, my, my, my head also, my whole body or whatever, you know? And so what we got to understand is this, this arrogancy that was, that was thoroughly steeped in them. And then Jesus stooping down to serve. And he said these statements that the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And what we have today is the very opposite. We have men starting ministries and require everybody to give their life for their mission, for their vision, for their purpose. And fail to take the the words of the master serious that if you are going to be his disciple or if you're going to be his kind of leader, then you are going to be the one that serves and helps other men achieve the vision and the purpose that God has for their life. So many will be last, will be first. And so we have this idea when I look of, uh, when I think about this, um, the sentence here, that many who are last will be first. It reminds me of, somebody who's trying to take cuts in line, right? And so they go all the way from the back and they come up to the front and they try to sneak their way into the front of the line. But then the gatekeeper or the person uh, who's managing the system, the flow of the line says, "Uh, uh, uh, there's no cutting, go to the back of the line. And so what we have today is men who are seeking to be first, uh, recognition and power and all of these things and, and going to the front of the line and thinking they are going to get by. And the gatekeeper says, nah, 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 to the back of the line. You see, Jesus set the example of what it was what it means to be a servant. And in every way, he refused the temptation for positional power. You see, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, everything that you see here can be yours. And he looked at all that and he refused. Men tried to make him ruler in the earthly realms. And, the, and the, the Bible says that they tried to make him king. They tried to sweep him away in this political power and tried to make him king. What did he do? He refused. You see, the arrogant would have been, you know what? 
all the kingdoms of this world you'll give to me if I bow down to you. And the arrogant would have said, no problem. Because within the heart of, of the arrogant is they want it all. They want it all and they want some more. And so when everything was presented to Jesus, having it all, he refused and rejected it. Man, that is a powerful reality. So Jesus was off ministering through different cities and places. And there was a city that rejected him and his word. And the disciples begin to say, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? He rebukes his disciples and says that the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he says, you don't know what kind of spirit that you are of. And what we have is this religious high-minded arrogance that is calling down fire from heaven. And this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air, because Jesus is all about saving, about rescuing, about providing deliverance. Now, those who do not have the spirit of Christ are all about judgment, fire, and brimstone. And so we got to understand those different paths to humility. So I could go on and on. I mean, there's the story of the publican and sinner. And there, I'll just briefly go through it. But, you know, one's in the temple and he's saying, man, I'm just thankful that I'm not like this sinner over here. That, uh, you know, I come to the temple, blah, blah, blah. I read the word of God. I fast and I pray. And he, he was singing his praises and he was saying how holy and how righteous he was. And then the other man who was classified as a sinner, beat on his chest and said, what? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So we have one man in his exalted position of how great he is, walking in self-righteousness and pride. And then we have the humble man who just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that the sinner went away justified and that he, he went away right with God, declared righteous with God and a relationship with God. And of course, the publican did not. And so that is the, the story in a nutshell. Do we want to be like the religious high mindedness of, you know, sitting in an exalted positions of power and being, you know, um, chief at the tables and, and standing on the street corners, praying and long tassels and, you know, all these things that the, that the Pharisees did, or do we want to be the position of being humble? See, the Pharisees love the praise. They love the best seats, the flashy garments, the long prayers, all of this stuff to be seen by other men. And so the Pharisees are in direct contradiction to the life of faith. In fact, Jesus said, if you righteousness doesn't exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And so let's bring this home. We've talked about this for three days. Uh, you, you've heard an hour of humility. And so there's no other conclusion but to come to is that this is the way that God wants me 
to walk in. It is the humble path. It is the way of the cross. And he has set that example for us in washing his disciples' feet. And the words that he said and the power that he lived by was all a quiet confidence and assurance in the power of God. And I want to live that same way, brother, and I'm, I'm sure that you do too. So I will see you next week. Have a great day.